0: Welcome to the Advance Born Global podcast. I'm Johanna Pittman, CEO of Advance, the non profit organisation that shines a spotlight on the impact of outstanding global Australians. In this podcast series, we meet all 34 game changers recognised in the 2022 Global Australian Awards. These inspiring game changers generously share the story of their international career journey with us, the highlights and challenges, and what motivates them in their work. I hope you enjoy getting to know these inspiring game changers. In this episode, we meet Craig Leeson, a 2022 game changer for his pioneering work as a storyteller to drive more sustainable practices. Stay tuned for his fabulous story about being up close and personal with a baby blue whale. This interview was conducted by Cathy Campbell, the producer of the Global Australian Awards. In simple terms, how would you describe what you do?
1: Uh, <clears throat> that's that's a very good question. It cha- that describing what I do changes, I think, um, depending on the focus of the work at the time. But um, I'm, I'm a filmmaker and... I think also an entrepreneur in the media space. Um, And I think uh, more to the point I'm a storyteller, and that's uh, where my strength lies in creating awareness on some of the issues that I'm most passionate about.
2: And those issues are, can you tell us a bit more about those, the topics of your work?
1: Uh, My company makes all sorts of documentaries, um, cultural, social, political... But the topics that I have a direct interest in are the environmental topics because uh, that's something that I've been interested in since I was very young. I grew up in Tasmania, the most beautiful island on the planet, and I grew up on the beach, and that gave me great access to wildlife, to, to the ocean. And I was extraordinarily fascinated by all of these tiny creatures that... Uh, were able to coexist together in the rock pools and, and in the ocean. And it made me very curious about our uh, position as a species within uh, the workings of the ecosystem of the planet and how we fit it in. And so that's something that I've been curious about ever since. And, you know, the environment is, is so complex and so beautiful And the way that we fit into that is also incredibly complex in our relationship with not only ourselves, but other species and also the planet uh, is also so diverse, um, so complex, historical, as well as uh, future forward in the way that we think about where we want to be as uh, we contemplate the next generation. uh, That's... There's always questions, and you never get uh, complete answers. So I think this is a topic that uh, will continue to fascinate me for the rest of my life.
2: And when you were growing up and heading into high school and maybe thinking about what you might be doing after that, did you always see this as your goal? What were your thoughts when you were thinking through?
1: When I was growing up, I wanted to be a veterinarian. I wanted to be a park ranger. I knew that my interest lay with wildlife and animals. Uh, My library consisted of books of birds from around the world. Um, I could tell you what any bird was from any country and whether it was male or female by the time I was about eight. Uh, And the fascination that I had for other species, and particularly I think at that age for whales, which I would definitely say the blue whale is probably if I were to have a signature animal in terms of where my interest is most strongest, then it would be with those animals because um, they're just uh, so fascinating that an animal so big, the biggest on the planet, um, is capable of uh, being so gentle and so benign and and to be able to work with the planet in such a way that we as humans have a great deal to learn from species such as that. So as a young person, uh, being in the media wasn't something that initially struck me as something I wanted to do. My father was a journalist, my grandfather was the editor of a local newspaper, and and so I wanted to break out and do something different. But I guess uh, the writing skills were very strong in the DNA and when an opportunity came to me to become a journalist, uh, it was something I found that I was very good at. But more to that point, it was something that I could use uh, to tell stories that will create awareness about problems that I thought, as a young person, uh, we as a society should know more about and should uh, put efforts into solving.
2: I'm guessing perhaps you might have watched a little bit of David Attenborough as you were growing up.
1: Well, David Attenborough was an inspiration to me because he was doing the job that I actually wanted to do when I was about eight years of age. Uh, the idea of travelling around the world and um, talking about my favourite animals was just something that I thought was a tremendous and a tremendous uh, privilege that he had. And I learned so much from him in... And, and I followed him very closely because I thought he had a great way of presenting the natural world in such a beautiful way, in the way that I kind of saw it through my eyes and the way that I wanted other people to see it. So I thought the way he shared the natural world and his discoveries uh, was precisely what I would like to do. Um, in terms of influences, he was extraordinarily strong the national geographic magazine that i got on a monthly basis was also a strong influence and through magazines like that i was able to travel through my mind into these amazing places around the world and and see animals and wildlife but i was also incredibly interested in the breakout column of the people that were writing the stories or taking the photographs. Who were they? How did they get to that position? Um, What was in their background that made them interested in the topic that they were covering? And more importantly, how do I become them? So there was an idea that what they were doing was something that I wanted to do. Um, But as my interest in animals developed, I also developed an interest in... Uh, supporting wildlife that had had uh, become distressed or injured in some way and <clears throat> as a very young person uh, my parents home became filled with animals that were sick and distressed because I would find them on the beach wandering albatross that had been storm battered or friends would bring bandicoots and wallabies and animals like that to the house because they knew that we had the knowledge and the capability of looking after them, which we kind of developed just through hands-on experience. And so we'd take these animals, rehabilitate them and and let them go back into the wild. So it wasn't unusual for guests to walk through the front gate of our beachside house and see uh, dogs running around with ducks, but also um, wallabies and wandering albatross and quolls and all sorts of other animals that had been, uh, had, that had been sent to us to come and stay and, and uh, sort themselves out.
2: I'm hearing a little bit of Gerald Durrell-style life as well. I don't know if you read any of his work early on. Very amusing. Um, a UK-based writer. So in terms of your day-to-day role, there's so much variability, I imagine, week-to-week, month-to-month... What continues to motivate you each day when you get up? What drives you to do what you do?
1: Yeah, the work we do is very incredibly varied. <clears throat> the films that we make, the topics are extraordinarily interesting to me. Um, but it's not just the films. The films lead to a, create. We through the films we create awareness but uh, that becomes of great interest to other people. And we use them as tools to help educate and uh, make people aware in positions where they're able to make a change and make a difference. So I do a lot of talking and consulting with corporate leaders and political leaders all over the world. Um, I've been lucky enough and privileged enough to help rewrite uh, or introduce legislation in countries like Colombia and Mexico and uh, and also influence in Australia. Uh, the Prime Minister uh, told uh, me at uh, a luncheon earlier this year that uh, the film A Plastic Ocean had influenced the policy of the country and the way that it dealt with single-use plastics. So we use them as tools precisely for for that effect. Uh, But I also like to to walk the talk. So I'm involved in building businesses that uh, are also complementary to the ideas we bring forward in the films. So, for example, we're building a digital platform where... We hope to encourage Australian consumers to become smarter consumers to buy alternative products that are more environmentally sustainable or have more environmentally sustainable packaging, as opposed to the plastic packaging that permeates the supermarkets and and uh, and the products that we currently purchase. And we uh, are trying to take the guesswork and the hard research work out of finding what is in the products that we buy whether it's the nutrition in food or where the products come from or what they're packaged in by doing that research ourselves creating a rating system where environmentally sustainable products are highly rated and then Encouraging people to buy the more highly rated products by rewarding them with kind of like an airline's reward system, for example, where they're able to take uh, rewards and use those to buy other products. And in doing that, we, we want to use that business, for example, as a face for Community market gardens uh, and we're, we're looking at setting up some interesting prototypes for that with vertical gardens using hydroponics and uh, permaculture and all sorts of things where we're able to get people to interact with the products that they buy and, and try and do it in local areas where they can walk to the garden or they can have the products delivered to them on foot so that we're limiting things like our carbon footprint, for example. That's the ideal, um, and it's, a, it's a, what we call a crawl-walk-run uh, scenario. We're at the crawl phase at the moment, so we're, we're just about to launch this later in the year. Um, but we believe it's important, and uh, my partners believe it's important, that we demonstrate solutions to a lot of the problems that we bring up and highlight in the films
2: so inspiring i'm so excited i'm hearing all these words going yes this has been part of my personal journey to read about um you know local produced in your own backyard or market gardens group community all that sort of thing but yes i look forward to to reading more um in terms of your role this next question is really got two parts it's challenges and highlights what are some of those challenges that you face Uh, And what are some of the highlights? And if you're able to give us perhaps a couple of examples, that would be great.
1: Yeah. Look, the greatest challenge, I think, is apathy. Uh, The notion that someone else will take care of the problem is why we are where we are at with things like the climate crisis. Um, Whilst I think it's unfair to blame consumers and people who drive cars uh, because they're not the greatest contributors... I do think that we need to understand what our footprint, the damage our footprint causes and be able to change our habits so that we can limit that. Uh, We don't ask and and nor should anybody stop living and and living their life to the best that they can. But there are ways that we can uh, fix many of the problems that we have. The solutions are there. For example, if we look at the climate crisis problem, uh, we, kept, we could solve that within months if we applied the solutions that are already at our fingertips. And those solutions are systemic change, uh, technological advancements that allow us to do that all the way through to the, to smarter consumerism on an individual level. You asked me earlier what gets me up in the morning uh, and and makes me optimistic and it is the f- the need to uh, the the need to protect the planet and its ecosystems for the next generation and I don't mean that in a way where we need to save the planet we don't need to save the planet the planet will go on whether we as humans are here or not uh, and it will regenerate and there will be other species that come up after us what we need to do is protect preserve, protect the human. And we need to understand why uh, that's the case. And that is because we are part of nature. We're not above it. And we can't escape the damage that we do to the ecosystems we rely on for these life support systems. So I am worried about the next generation and what we're leaving the next generation. And that's what drives me. Um, I want to leave a planet in a better shape than when it was gifted to me by my parents' generation and my grandparents' generation uh, because I want the next generation to be able to enjoy all of the wonders of the planet that I have, travelling around, seeing different species, uh, remarkable glaciers, whales in the ocean. These are, are things that we need to preserve, protect, and if we've damaged them, restore them. And um, uh, so that the next generation can uh, take benefit from them.
2: You spoke earlier about the, um, the, the blue whale. Um, have you, how close have you been? Tell us about one of your experiences. It's a bit of a personal indulgent question.
1: Yeah. Um, I'd, I'd spent most of my life studying blue whales, and, and it was uh, an animal that I really wanted to confront face to face to see. Uh, to look into the eye of a blue whale and and to see what I could see and also to see what recognition uh, that animal had. And we had the opportunity to do that in Sri Lanka. Where scientists had discovered that blue whales were congregating off the coast, the continental shelf of Sri Lanka. And it provided one of the first opportunities to study them that scientists have had. They may be the biggest animal on the planet, but they're also the most elusive. And we almost hunted them to extinction. So they're very wary of humans, naturally. And we managed on our last day of filming after looking for them for weeks uh, to find a family as we're heading back to port actually to pack up and leave with with only probably a minute of footage in in the can and there was a, a family that had uh, just been feeding and was resting on the surface and we got into the water and approached the family and and we're about a hundred meters away from them and the juvenile um, and and this was a a type of blue whale called a pygmy blue whale. They're they're actually a bit smaller than a true blue. And when I say smaller, they grow to about 27 meters instead of 35 meters. So they're they're still massive animals. And the baby of the group, which was probably about 15 meters, was very curious and swam over and swam underneath me and came up beneath me uh, from the depths. And I it came to within about 10 meters of where I was and it gave me that moment. It looked me in the eye and it still sends shivers down my back thinking about that moment of recognition. And then it turned on its back and swam upside down and delivered what I can only describe as an enormous punami. It vented its bowels and, <laughs> Uh, covered me in what can only be described, again, as maybe a swimming pool full of orange blue whale poo. Um, large chunks of it, which got into my hair, uh, stained my T-shirt. And I thought <laughs> I thought to myself, you cheeky bugger. But um, if you're a playful kid, um, what would be more entertaining than uh, pooing on a human species and uh, checking the reaction? Um, I had the presence of mind to call over to the boat to bring a bucket and I thought the only thing rarer than a blue whale is blue whale poo. So I collected a bucket of this orange like smelly substance and took it to our cetacean expert on board and she w- uh, on board the boat and she was just absolutely ecstatic. she uh, she said that scientists at that point had never had the opportunity to study uh, the faeces of blue whales. And by taking a sample, scientists were then able to look at things like the health of the whale, toxicity, what it was eating, even guess the age, um, look into the DNA of the whale. So it gave them a a new insight into these animals that they hadn't been able to study before. And uh, they told me that I had the honour of being the first person uh, recorded to have been pooed on by a blue whale. So that was my first ever encounter with a blue whale. Interestingly, the science that started from that incident has now become a global science, and it's something that uh, scientists now chase. They follow blue whales and other species around the world with drones waiting for them to defecate so that they can take samples and look at uh, these animals in another way. What's interesting is we've learned so much about how incredibly important they are to things like climate change, how whales sequester carbon in their bodies, and how they bring up nutrients from the depths, the great depths, where and uh, spread nutrients around through defecating to other species. So it's been an incredible journey from that moment to... Um, uh, of discovery and surprise to the science that now exists as a result of it.
2: Oh, that is hilarious and such an a, an incredible highlight in your role. Who'd have thought? <laughs> oh.
1: I know. And it, look, it was something I thought should have been put in the film and we actually did have it in A Plastic Ocean. Um, but we, we had so many stories and we had to condense the film down. And I had great arguments with my producers who... Who wanted to take that out? And I said, "Listen, if our film will be remembered for anything by any ten-year-old on the planet, it's the the sequence where I'm pooed on by a blue whale. So I think it should stay in. Unfortunately, they won that argument, um, and uh, uh, that sequence wasn't kept in the film. But um, I plan to put it into the next film that we do on whales.
2: Oh, that would be great." So my next question is around um, you being selected as a finalist in this uh, in the Global Australian Awards, and I don't know if you'd heard of Advance before this, but essentially, the role is to shine a spotlight on Global Australians, um, people who with just such an outward looking focus. What does it mean to you um, to be recognised back home in this in this way?
1: I think awards like this are very important, not for the people who are awarded, um, but for the awareness of the work that they do. There are so many expats overseas doing incredible things, whether it's in business, uh, science, medicine, filmmaking, um, and they don't receive much recognition at home. In fact, there is when i come home there is almost um a a sense of negative attitude i find to australians who have been overseas in that if you have gone overseas to work it means you failed in australia and it's a really kind of parochial local um uh idea i think so i th- and and that's not the case i mean the the ideas that people who work overseas in international environments bring back to Australia, actually make Australia what it is. Um, we we bring back best practices, um, tried and true methods that are being used in uh, countries, in cultures overseas, and we plug them into Australia and see how they work. And I think Australia has grown very quickly, particularly in science and medicine, where in many areas we've led... Uh, these um, uh, these fields, and I think we can lead more in the future if we accept uh, or encourage uh, expats back to Australia that have this knowledge. So I think the awards are very important to provide that spotlight on Australians that are doing exceptional things overseas.
2: Yes, I agree, and um, that's one of the joys of being in this relatively small team a small organization but that's the goal you know that uh, to bring the expertise that's clearly a very different perspective back into policy and industry discussions back in australia so one final question what advice would you give to someone early on in their career whether it's in your area of expertise or otherwise what would you say for to someone either late high school or uni early uni days early career about the path forward
1: i would uh i would find your passion find what makes you stimulated both mentally uh physically and follow that path everyone can become a change maker Uh, This notion that change makers are special people uh, that have special skills is absolutely not true. Change makers come from ordinary people who see extraordinary challenges and try and overcome them. So if you want to be a change maker, um, you're absolutely a candidate no matter who you are. But find something that really makes your brain tick um, and that challenges you and become passionate about it because I think the one common theme and factor with changemakers that I've met is that they don't actually work. They, they see what they do as a passion and they find it enjoyable and uh, they want to get up every single day uh, to get stuck back into what they do. And uh, when you have that as a career, then it becomes incredibly fulfilling uh, individually, but also as you are fulfilled by what you do, then you radiate that. And uh, that's important in terms of getting other people uh, impassioned into the projects that you're working on and, um, and then uh, giving back, providing the, uh, I think, uh, the stimulus and the encouragement for other people to take part in, in what you're doing Uh, and help you achieve the goals that you have, as well as the goals that they may have as well.
2: Thank you so much. And that is absolutely um, the theme that keeps coming through, the passion for what you do. If you find something you're passionate about, it doesn't feel like work, hard work.
1: Yeah. and I mean, that's not to say that you don't work hard and that people don't work hard. In fact, the more passionate you become about what you do, the harder you actually end up working. Because... You really want to achieve uh, your goals, and you want to um, you want to make a difference. Uh, but one thing I think that must be kept in mind is be careful about setting goals, uh, because the joy is in the journey. And I think uh, growing up in within what I do I was always looking at getting to the end of the project and and starting a new project particularly if it was a film and seeing the success of that project but what I realized that I've enjoyed most about what I've done is the actual journey undertaking those projects the the time between the start and the finish is actually the most enjoyable time so make sure that uh, you enjoy the journey and uh, make the most of it.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode. For more on global Australian game changes over the last decade, please go to our website advance.au.